Welcome back to Speak Supreme. This is the first episode of the Weekend Minicast, typically supposed to go up on Fridays, but I was unable to make that happen because I'm busy. I'm your host, Seth Cunningham, and today I am not joined by my lovely co-host, Austin Knippelmeyer. You may have noticed on our Twitter or our, you know, varying social medias that we have changed our schedule. On Mondays is going to be the minicast hosted by Austin Knippelmeyer, our lovely co-host at Speak Supreme, and that's going to be more sports-based, more sports segments, and of course, other uh, segments in there, other topics that are more pertaining to his interest. On Wednesdays, you got the full-length episode, an hour to an hour and a half, that's going to be the lovely dynamic duo between Austin and I. Uh, Sometimes we'll have guests, sometimes we won't, it'll be just us. And then on Friday, sometimes the weekends when I get busy, we will have my minicast hosted by yours truly. Now before we get into it, I would just like to take a moment to thank everybody who is listening to this, and I'd like to ask them to follow us on their preferred (laughs) plot... preferred podcast platform that's kind of a mouthful as well as uh go ahead and give us a follow on our twitter that is at speak supreme you can get all kinds of updates and information about us and stay in touch we love to have you we love it and we appreciate it now we'll go a little bit more into the intro of the episode I want to make it known that the goal of this show is to take one topic and spend the length of an entire episode on it a more focused form of our news-based segments from the full-length show and give me a chance to spend more time going in more in-depth in both facts and feelings towards a particular subject of interest. I am calling it uh, One Topic In-Depth. We'll see if that title sticks, or maybe it won't, but right now I'm calling it One Topic In-Depth. Now, when I decided to do this format and began to circulate ideas on what the first episode would be, I very quickly came to the conclusion that I needed to start off with the Britney conservatorship. Now, I know the documentary has already come out. They already have that taken care of, and uh, it has been talked by so many people much more important than me all the way back into 2019, 2017, but in my opinion, I think the more this gets talked about, the better. Everyone needs to be aware of this situation because it is an incredibly egregious act on the part of her family, her father, and on the part of the California justice system for failing this lady in the way that they did. It's a simple fact of the matter that Britney Spears is an icon. She is so incredibly talented, has been in our lives for so long, and she is a massive symbol of a massive cultural shift that took place in the 90s and early 2000s. She's a representation of how dangerous and blatantly irresponsible mass media was at the time and in some ways still fucking is today. The Free Britney movement itself, and I'm sure you've heard about it uh, in the last coming months and maybe even last couple of years, has at this time picked up a large amount of uh, momentum in the last year or so, and uh, especially since the release of Framing Britney Spears, a documentary released on Hulu uh, and had been building up support since as early as 2017. However, the struggle that Britney has endured has gone on for much longer. And I would personally argue that her fight for control has been going on long before the conservatorship uh, began. (laughs) Man, I am having a hard time speaking today. But in order to understand the depth of her story and the continual struggle she's lived through up to this point, you kind of have to look at the whole stories. So, like all of them, we'll try to start at the beginning. I know that's cliche. I know, but we're going to do it. 
So the sim so we'll go into this here. Uh, Brittany was born on December 2nd, 1981, and uh, she came from relatively humble beginnings. I believe she grew up in Kentwood, Mississippi, uh, to a, I know her father was a welder and a cook, uh, you know, Jamie and Lynn Spears raising uh, three children. And uh, right out of the gate, Brittany showed large amounts of talent. She was taking dancing lessons by the age of three, singing in her church choir, and was winning gymnastic competitions and talent shows all throughout childhood. Now later on, as uh, her talent became more and more aware to her parents, and they were more and more aware that she had potential to go on to something great, uh, they began to kind of push her more in that direction. Uh, she met talent agent Nancy Carson after her first audition to the Mickey Mouse Club uh, when she first went up into Atlanta, I believe, and auditioned for the Mickey Mouse Club in 1990. After that, uh, when she was rejected for the first audition because she was too young, uh, she was introduced to Nancy Carson and uh, began attending the Professional Performing Arts School, moving into a sublet apartment in New York with her mom and sister. Now, two years later, she was cast in the Mickey Mouse Club at just 11 years old. Uh, was a nice experience with her. We know that she was cast in the first kind of batch of what would go on to become uh, a big chunk of the, the cast of uh, pop stars in the 90s, the big teen pop stars that blew up and got a lot of attention throughout the 90s. However, when the show ended, she went back to Mississippi for high school uh, when the show ended in 1996. Uh, reports from herself and others uh, say that she had a pretty semi-normal high school experience. I mean, you know, when she went to the Winter Formal, she was a point guard on her basketball team. I don't know what that means. I don't know what a point guard is, but sue me. Uh, but she was reported on feeling bored, and she wanted more. She's always been an incredibly naturally ambiguous, or sorry, not ambiguous, ambitious person. Uh, and so she wanted more. In 1997, when she uh, sent out a demo to three different record labels, she was signed to Jive Records. And by 1999, she released her debut studio album, Baby One More Time, which I will just take a second to mention. I wasn't really alive during the time of the Britney Spears kind of... Um, I was alive, I was born in 2000, so I wasn't really alive during the whole debacle, and even when I was, uh, I wasn't necessarily aware of what was going on. I recently watched this music video and listened to this song, Baby One More Time, while I was researching this topic, and I will uh, say that it is so incredibly over-sexualized. I, I, it was, she's wearing a Catholic schoolgirl's costume that apparently was her choice, but Man, that was incredibly over-sexualized for like a 17, 18-year-old girl to be doing. However, from that point in her career, uh, she was launched into the horizon. And in the years following, we saw Britney Spears become one of the most famous people of not even just our generation, but of all frickin' time. She was uh, a legend. She was everywhere. Everyone wanted to listen to her songs. Everyone wanted to go to her concerts. All of the, the teenagers and the, the fan base was just going nuts for her. She was the start of the revival of the teen pop star era after Madonna, Mariah Carey, and became an icon in society during a time of cultural shift and of technological shift. Things were developing. Uh, people were still sticking behind to the ropes, though. There was still more of that traditional sense where people wanted to be good Christian people, but it was starting to change to allow for more openness, to allow for more sexuality, to allow for more outness. Now, if we talk about the next uh, few years of her career here, uh, because I'm not going to sit here, I'm not... Um, 
a huge music buff. I'm not going to sit here and list off every record she released. I'm not going to sit here and, re- and give you every statistic that we had for it because we all know that after 2000, she became big. She became a hit. So I want to try to put this into perspective, the idea of a 16 to 18-year-old girl suddenly coming across a global level of fame and wealth, breaking record after record, having your brand image loved, adored, and cherished by millions of people. Most people could never understand this. But the way uh, I try to see it, for the rest of us nobodies, is to imagine being at your own wedding 24 hours a day. Every single person you see or bump into wants your time and your energy just because you are who you are. This girl was incredibly important in a lot of different ways to many different people. And for so many different reasons, a lot of people's intentions were pure, sure. But so many more of them were after her for their own selfish intentions. She was cherished by her fans. And sure, it was somewhat uh, stressful to manage that love, I'm certain. To feel like you always have to be on and always have to, uh, always expected to act grateful, happy, and excited towards their affection and eagerness to meet and speak with her. But in my opinion, if it was only the fans that made up her public interaction, she probably would have been able to handle that. She was good with the fans. In fact, in the beginning, she was good with the paparazzi because she wanted to be that, that pop star. She wanted to fill that role, and she seemed excited to do so. But the true forces, I believe, that contributed to so much negativity in Britney's life uh, is uh, just an immense amount of societal pressure and a truly, truly disgusting toxic media environment. During the late 90s and early 2000s, the world was constantly talking about Britney Spears. And at this point, tabloid culture had developed to a state where the amount of money they were making seemingly bought out everyone else's consciousness as to whether or not what they were doing were harmful. During this time, it was incredibly popular for just every just news outlet, every second that you got, there were paparazzi on the street taking pictures of anything they could so that they could try to make a bunch of money. That's really all they were trying to do. I mean, because apparently there was a shit ton of money in magazines and articles and different things like that. And I don't think people consider during this time, and even possibly now, that every news outlet, every magazine, and every square inch of the now developing internet was focused on stalking this woman 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. And you can call it what you want to, but that's what the paparazzi does. Whether or not they are respectful about shoving a camera in your face, you know, you've seen these videos where you have these people, get back, get back, give her room, give her room, well, you can call it what you want, but they're shoving a camera in your face, they're tracking your every movement, they're keeping a record of where you go, and when you go there, always trying to get any goddamn shot they can, and any information they can scrape literally just for cash, because they don't want to do another job, they don't want to do more serious photography work or get an actual job, it's stalking in one of the worst way possible and these people you listen to these paparazzi where they always try to defend themselves well well it's the money man yeah um i suppose you could probably also make a lot of money human trafficking but if you do you're a piece of shit and should be executed not that paparazzi should be executed but it should be taken more seriously than it is 
It has to take a toll on a person. There's no way that it doesn't take a physical and mental toll. And now we know that. We're much more aware of mental health and self-image. And I have to believe that we've come to this point because so many people like Brittany got pushed too far and then got blamed. And when she began to suffer mentally as a result of these just horrendous, ugly, and during interviews, flat-out rude treatment. In my opinion, the simple fact of the matter is that she wasn't a sex icon. She wasn't the perfect girl next door. She wasn't overtly provocative or completely morally decrepit. She was a person. She was a teenage girl who was expected to act more mature than the people who surrounded her and interviewed her. She was trying to live her life. She was trying to develop herself as a person, develop her sound, develop the relationships around her, and manage the relationships around her. Because when you're that age and you're making that much money, you can't tell me that uh, the people around you, or at least some of the people around you, are going to have to or going to try to take advantage of that situation. It just continually built up over years and years, uh, just kind of a pressure situation, a boiling situation where she tried to be this perfect, this perfect representation. She tried to be what everyone wanted her to be, pushing and pulling her in different directions and just criticizing her for any error that they would see because people were too focused on what some girl was doing because she can sing really well than they were on their own freaking lives. So if you're going to tell me for a second that hitting the car of someone who's been following you around, harassing you, and taking pictures of your most vulnerable moments after incredibly sensitive or really personal shit has happened in your life, or shaving your hair off to prevent the constant swarm of hands from invading your personal space because they just have to do it before you go out because your hair is just too pretty, or putting your damn son on your lap in a car because you needed to get in and escape from a mob of cameramen as quickly as possible. If you think any of that merit her to her, having all of her personal and financial freedom stolen from her, then I think in nature you are either an ignorant person or you're a bad person. Maybe both, but I'm not sure. So from this point, we know where the story goes. She does these things. Uh, she gets involved with Sam Lufty, and her family gets greatly concerned about that. Um, at this point, she has divorced with Kevin Vitey. Um, Kevin Feiderlein, uh, and uh, she has lost custody of her children at this point. And her family begins pushing uh, because they believe these interactions and her partnership with Sam Lufty, they have been again, attempting to seize control of her life and estate. Um, and I can't claim to know the inner workings of her family behind closed doors, um, nor the inner workings of what's going on in her head at the time. Um, it was clear that she was having uh, mental issues. She was having issues, but that she wasn't crazy. She wasn't losing her mind. She was at a point in her life where she didn't know who she could trust, probably. She was at a point in her life where uh, she just didn't have a second to herself, and she probably felt like nothing was hers. So maybe she was at a point that had devolved to maybe, perhaps, the 5150 involuntary 72-hour psychiatric hold was necessary. And maybe, even if she was, because 
She was hesitant, but there are reports that she sort of agreed, even though she did agree under the terms that her father, Jamie, wouldn't be the main conservator, even though they completely ignored her and did that. Maybe the first few years of her conservatorship could have been beneficial toward her. But in this situation, she isn't an elderly person who is going to be unable to take care of herself for the rest of her life. Right? She was a, at the time, I think, 23 to 25-year-old woman. She's not an elderly person who's going to die before the conservatorship has a chance to end. So the immediate goal for this conservatorship should have been rehabilitation and assistance and building her health back up to the point where she could move past this incredibly difficult time in her life. Clear and achievable steps and milestones should have been put in place for how she could have reasonably shown the court that she was at a point to move past this. But from my perspective, none of that was done. Instead of giving her time off from her career to develop and grow as a person outside of the limelight, they put her under lock and key and then continued her career with barely a year's halt. They took a program that was initiated because it was seen as what would provide the highest level of mental care for her, and they turned it into a fucking hybrid business model that was actually in a contract that was submitted to the court where they wanted to update the terms. It was a petition to update the terms of the conservatorship, and they literally listed it that it should be thought as a hybrid business model. That's absolutely disgusting that these people just so blatantly took control of everything that she had and everything she was, and they came up into little meetings and decided what she would do each week, what shows she would do, what money she would make for them, and she was paying the bills of probably a dozen people. And during her conservatorship, she worked probably more than she did previous to it. A month after she was allegedly mentally unfit to handle her personal or financial affairs, she was somehow well enough to do a guest star episode on How I Met Your Mother. And then she was able to open the MTV Music Awards that same year. From a marketing perspective, it seems her team wanted to make it seem like she didn't miss a beat. They were arguing to the court that she was mentally unfit to take her care of herself on one hand, while on the other hand, they were trying to convince the entire world that nothing ever happened and that Britney was back and better than ever. That same year, she did Britney, for the record. A documentary that hyped her up as a ready-to-return, but kept any information about the state of her conservatorship out of the picture. Then, still the same year, she released her sixth studio album, Circus, winning an award for the first female artist to have five albums debut at number one with The Circus, starring Britney Tour coming out the following year. And then it became more evident that she was sane, that she was still wonderfully talented and incredibly capable of functioning in high-stress situations as her career continued to pick up more and her public appearances became more frequent. Throughout these 13 years, Britney has released four top-selling albums, has been on multiple tours and a Las Vegas residency, and so many more projects. Uh, she was truly on back on the face. She was on Instagram posting, you know, fun little clips and beautiful images from her life, even though now we know that those were all censored by the company that she would have to send her Instagram post in so that they could monitor them and make sure she wasn't talking about her conservatorship. And yeah, we know what happens at this point. 
now we're at a point in the story where it's pretty much uh, all over the news. In 2019, we began to hear reports that maybe Brittany wasn't as happy uh, with the conservatorship as her team would make you believe. Uh, she uh, filed an objection uh, wanting Jamie Spears to be removed from his conservatorship entirely uh, because uh, she, well, we don't really know why, but because she felt uncomfortable with him because she didn't like him. But we know that in November of 2020 that she did file an objection to try to get him removed. Now, Jamie's legal defense team claims that it uh, it is Brittany's personal conservator is Jody Montgomery, who has been the person in charge of the day-to-day -day activity of her life. But we know that there are teams designed uh, around all of this and that Jamie is the main conservator who makes the final decision. Uh, but on July 1st, a judge denied a request to remove Jamie from her ongoing conservatorship. Now, this wasn't in regards to her June 23rd testimony, but rather a request sent, as a, in, as I said, November of 2020. And after her testimony in June of 2021, we finally got a real look into how she was treated during these 13 years of her life. And as people began to come forward and testify on her behalf, her friends and some of her family, we began to get an actual idea of uh, the fact that this person was forced to behave in a certain way, behave to do uh, shows and to make money and to do concerts uh, against her will so that she could make money for not even herself, but for the people that was telling her what to do, that was dictating every moment of her life. It just and it makes you think how this was able to happen, how this came to the point where uh, people were able to convince actual judges, were able to actually make legal arguments and petition the court to set this up in a way that was so clearly disadvantaged, such a clear disadvantage to Brittany. It is just uh, incredibly sad. And now we know that uh, on July 1st, when she, uh, the judge uh, officially denied the request to remove Jamie from her ongoing conservatorship, the Besmer Trust, the financial company that was previously assigned as a co-conservator, uh, Jamie Spears was pissed about that, uh, but he was uh, taken back a step from being the sole financial conservator to being a coal conservator with Besmer Trust. Well, on July 1st, they issued a statement that they would not be taking over as co-conservator of her financial estate. They claimed that they had been under the impression that her conservatorship was voluntary. And most people had been led to believe that her conservatorship was voluntary, that she wanted this to happen to her. But I don't really see how she could agree to this. And even if she says that she would be okay with some parts of it, maybe she thinks that some part of the support system could still be in place. She so adamantly, so obviously doesn't want Jamie Spears pulling the strings because there is some kind of family dynamic there. There is some kind of relationship. There is some kind of something secret that is, you know, one of those secret fam family secrets that we don't know about that is making her incredibly uncomfortable to work with him. And I'm sure maybe he's just a shitty father. We know that Britney's mother, Lynn Spears, seemingly stepping up on her behalf, asked the judge to allow Britney to hire her own attorney. She said, um, a quote from Rolling Stone, It is self-evident that before the court addresses, for example, the termination of the conservatorship, conservatee must be allowed to consult with counsel of her choosing.
All right. So uh, clearly, conservative needs private counsel to advise her on her basic rights in this conservatorship. And the story that that paints, and we know that she has had a, a legal team chosen for her, selected for her. She's paying for her attorney and the attorneys of Jamie Spears and the team that she's fighting against. So she needs to not have a, an attorney that was selected by the people that she is trying to get away from. If she was able to hire her own attorney and actually get information, get the full picture right be explained to what her rights are and what she is able to do as far as fighting this that is the only way we're going to get to a point where we can move past this and i sincerely hope that we can because as you heard today i mean it's just been a completely ongoing struggle i can't imagine not having freedom to go out and live your life, to be able to get married, to be able to make the decision to have children, to be able to handle yourself. And the very bottom line is it's none of her father's business if she's an accountant when it comes to handling her finances or in any other way that she would like to manage her career. That's her decision. If she isn't good at handling her finances, she doesn't need a government-appointed conservatorship stripping her rights of that. No, if she's, she's an incredibly rich and incredibly intelligent person, if she doesn't have the time or energy to manage her finances, then she herself can hire an accountant to do so. That's what accountants do. That's what financial companies do. She could do that and cut out the middleman of having all of her rights taken away from her. She is being treated like someone who is mentally incapable when she so obviously and so publicly isn't. And I don't know how much I can hammer that point, but all I can ask is that you keep aware and keep informed as the story continues to unravel. There are more testimonies in the future. There are more court dates to be decided on whether or not what's going to happen when Besmer Trust steps out. Is Jamie going to become the sole conservator, or will be there be another development? So when I end up here, when I wrap up, I ask you uh, that you that you stay informed, that you continue to try to look into this, and if can be, if need be, speak up and step up so that we can get this person out of the position that she is in. If we can do this, if she is able to fight this and able to push this away and fight back and, and, and get rid of the conservatorship, that'll be huge for her. But it'll also probably and possibly be huge for future conservatorship battles. Because if this is happening to one of the most famous people who has ever lived in the history of humankind... What is happening to the thousands and millions of other people that are also under conservatorships? And what is happening to those people in those conservatorships that are also in a bad situation where the family or the people that are supposed to care for them are actually putting them in a situation that gives the advantage to the conservatees or to the conservators, I mean. And I sincerely hope that we are able to come to some kind of resolve to this story. Now I'll stop ranting for the day, and I'll wrap it up here. Thank you so much for listening. I appreciate your support, and I appreciate you tuning in. We will catch you next Friday for this next personal minicast, uh, and we will catch you next Wednesday with the full-length mini or the full-length podcast with Austin and I. 
Please tune in to Monday when Austin does his minicast. Follow us on Twitter if you haven't already, at Speak Supreme. Thank you so much, and have a beautiful night.